This is Flippin' Finance. I'm Sam Ismore, and I'm joined by my co-host, Fabian. Hello, hello. Today is June 1st, 2023, and we are covering an update to the U.S. debt crisis that really wasn't a crisis, and why predictions are so hard. But before that, kick the disclosure music. As always, none of this is investment advice. It does not constitute an offer to buy or sell securities, nor do any of my opinions reflect those of my employer, Vallejo Financial Advisors, or any of its affiliates. This is for educational purposes only. And things change, so we have no duty to go back and revise any of this information. With that out of the way, Fabian, it's June. The year is almost over. I hope you've accomplished all your goals. I have just set new goals because none of my previous goals have been accomplished. So I'm moving the goalpost and I've got new goals set for the rest of the year. So, okay. Yeah. I like that. That's where I'm at. I need to do that too. Cause I'm just a complete mess. Professionally things I think are going well, but personal weight loss, I just like beer too much. And it's Bro, just that's, sad. That's a whole nother podcast. Like let's not even go down that road of, uh, <laughs> what do you, what do you call that? When you just make fun of yourself, self lo not, not self-loathing. Just, just roasting. Just yeah. Roasting, just myself. roasting ourselves. That could be a whole nother show, but I feel you, man. I, too, enjoy beer way too much. Uh, speaking of roasting, we should brought you a couple questions about the U.S. debt ceiling. And yes, we should I was just roast nervous. all the, everyone involved in this. I was getting very nervous about it from okay. our last conversation and then seeing the headlines leading up to it about what would happen if the U.S. were to default on its loans. And sure. here we are again in the same situation we were at several months ago where nothing happened. Yeah. Yeah. So they, all the hemming and hawing and my predict, my prediction was they were going to get closer to the, the debt ceiling was mine. But I think something I didn't factor in was the congressional calendar. Like this was their last real chance to get a deal done um, before like a June break for, for like for scheduling purposes. So they ran this through. I, I guess I didn't really think about that. I thought we were going to get a lot closer to like a quote unquote default. I never really thought that they would get into a default, but all the hemming and hauling the politics, they, they eventually just raised, raised the debt ceiling. Like it's not an issue for, for it's future America to worry about is what it is. Right. Exactly. And when you're saying they would get closer, like closer to a date or closer to a number. I thought they would get closer to uh, the number of defaulting type thing. So what was happening, right? What was happening is, the treasury account that, you know, the US, the U.S. Treasury has an account with billions of dollars in it. And usually it's hundreds of billions of dollars and it was dwindling it down. And I think it got around like $50 billion or something like that. And eventually they're going to run out of money and they're going to have to decide like, who do we pay? Who do we don't pay? And that was like what economists were looking at was like, well, <laughs> there's only so much money left and how much longer? Cause, cause tax revenue, it's effectively over that they're getting in. I mean, some of it's still dribbling mm-hmm. in here and there, but for the most part, I mean, like the quote unquote profits for the government are already, already in the barn. Like there isn't a ton more coming. So, you know, it's going to keep dwindling unless we can subsidize things through more debt, more debt issuance. 
And so let's say we were, let's play a little game. If we were to default, right? Sure. Like how immediate would that be? Let's say there's like a, a date or a number, right? Let's say it was June 8th, a week from today. Like we would, what, run out of money? Essentially, is that what happens? We run out of money so that we can't pay people, right? So it's they, what they would have done is just made decisions on who they were going to pay. And they probably would have just backfilled it. So like a great example is whenever we have a government shutdown because like budgetary concerns, um, all the government workers aren't getting paid. But like whenever they get things, you know, re- refired back up, all those people are made whole. That would have been the situation we would have been in. So we've been in like a technical default, not in like a Venezuela, we just reneged on all of our debt default uh, type situation. So like Venezuela, all the bonds went from being worth something to zero. Yeah. Um, so the U.S., we just would have had a technical default where they would have had to figure out how to prioritize payments to Social Security or the military or to our debt. And then they probably, once they raised the debt ceiling, came back and made everybody whole. But you started seeing a lot of stress in the U.S. Treasury market based right around June June there. So nobody wanted to own the, the debt in June because they were kind of like, what's going to happen? So when you, when you sell a bond, which is what U.S. Treasury note and bond is, the yield goes higher. So everybody was selling the June June holdings there. So like the, the yield was really high on those if you were, if you were willing to take uh, the risk. Hmm. Yeah, but but the the big issue with like the U.S. default is uh, one U.S. Treasuries are like the biggest debt market uh, out there in the world, and it's the most liquid. And there's the assumption that it's the risk free return. U- U.S. has never defaulted on our debt, and also it's 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 easy to transact. And so there's everybody is somehow impacted by the U.S risk-free asset no longer being risk-free. So that's why it was such a big deal to kind of be just like, even like kind of like, oh, maybe we'll default type thing. Cause like the, everything's based off that. Oh, freaking fed. <laughs> well, it wasn't the fed. Well, so it's Congress. Congress. So the, the, freaking the Congress. issue to me, the issue to me, the why the debt ceiling is so frustrating is one, there's only one other country that does it. It's Denmark and Denmark raised it to such a high level. It's never been an issue, but two, we have already made appropriations for this spending. So Congress has signed everything for the spending that we are doing. And then now we're coming along and doing this debt ceiling stupidity for things that we've already committed to paying. Like if you're so worried about like the debt ceiling, then like stop spending so much, but they don't want to do that. That's the frustrating thing to me is they've already signed off on all the spending. So like why go through this circus? Headlines. Yeah. And I have no one to talk to because my fiance doesn't want to talk to me about this. So I'm just stewing at home going, this is stupid. <laughs> well, here, here's your chance to vent. What grinds yeah. your gears? Yeah, that. I think I just did. I feel better. Thank you. Good. This is therapy. Yeah. But it goes into, I think, your other questions of how hard it is to predict some of this. No one really knows what's going to happen. And luckily, we don't have to know what's going to happen with the U.S. Uh, debt default. But there's, there's other predictions going on uh, all the time that people are proclamating about. Give me an example. What are people predicting right now? Well, have you used chat GPT? Every day. It's actually like pretty good. It's not bad. I think there's a lot of speculation right now around AI stocks. So NVIDIA 
is a semiconductor that does, they make the computer processing power for the AI uh, computer power. And that stock has gone kind of parabolic from three months ago. So AI hype has kind of taken over the stock market a little bit. So don't go buy NVIDIA just because I mentioned it. I have no idea what it'll do. The, the speculation is like, are we all going to be working for AI? And the predictions, you can get into the valuation of stock. So NVIDIA is trading around 25 times sales. So that is an extremely, extremely high valuation. So that means they are predicting a ton of growth out of this stock um, in, the, in the future. So it has to grow at some huge Amazon level of growth to ever grow into that valuation. So that is kind of like what you can see in real-time prediction windows, like in the stock market and uh, the hype around other things as well. So I just, I remember during COVID, this company was kind of a huge deal. People were trying to, like you couldn't buy these computer parts that they were making. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So this is a little different. So NVIDIA is able, has like figured out a way to like, go from one kind of bubble to is this another bubble question mark? So GPUs, the graphic processing units, if I'm remembering that correctly, the semiconductors effectively. So they don't make the semiconductors. Taiwan Semiconductor makes it all. NVIDIA just designs them. They don't make them. And the GPUs that they design are great for really high processing power, which is what you needed for crypto mining. So in 2021 and 2020, mm -hmm. when crypto went crazy, you needed all this computing power to figure out the mining and get your tokens and whatnot. And that's when NVIDIA went crazy as well and started its first kind of big run uh, up after that. And then with the correction in crypto, the correction in tech stock valuations, it came back down. But now, I like, is this an AI bubble? I have no idea. All I know is you look at the valuation of some of these companies and you go, okay, you're, the market is predicting some huge growth multiple. Do I think that's going to happen with AI or not? And that's for like the investor at home to, to consider from a long-term perspective. Or you can be like, I don't care. It's up 30% today. I'm going to buy it, which I mean, good so luck. This is my kind of naive question coming into this. Can people, and oh my gosh, I'm going to get so if this is wrong, I'm going to get roasted for this. So could people short this stock? So in terms of like, does that mean that you don't think that it would hit that valuation? You can, you can. But the issue with shorting a stock. And can you, you explain can what that means? I just know the word. I don't think. Oh, I know yeah, yeah. So shorting a <laughs> stock means. So let's just use NVIDIA as an example. So if I'm going to bet against NVIDIA. What you actually do to short a stock is you borrow it. You go, I would like one share of NVIDIA. Let's just say it's $100. I'm going to borrow it. So like a bunch of stock exchanges and brokers houses, they, you, you, they will lend any of your stocks out to, to me. And I pay like an interest rate on it, whatever it is. Maybe it's like 4 or 5%. I'm not sure. I'm not shorting stocks. I don't know what the, the short interest rate is. But I, I pay somebody for the chance to borrow it. So usually it's like the brokerage house or somebody else. And my hope is that it goes down because if it goes down, I'm going to buy the stock and return the borrowed one to 
the person I borrowed from. So if it goes from, I'm borrowing it at 100, and if it goes down to 50%, I'm great. I'm going to buy it and I'm going to return it back to that person. So that means if it goes down to $50, I've made $50 of profit minus whatever my borrowing costs uh, were or are. The hard thing with shorting is you can lose more than 100% on your position. So it is, it is different mm-hmm. than, yes. So what is happening and part of the reason why you have sometimes really big moves in the market is, is kind of come from a short, short covering. So when I buy back the stock, I'm covering my short. And if NVIDIA goes from 100 to 250, I have now lost $250. I've lost a 200, no, I've lost 150% of my position. So let's say NVIDIA goes to $400. I've now lost three times my position. So that is why shorting is an incredibly hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do, you can do it through other um, things like put options. So a put option is um, goes up in price as the stock goes down in price. So it's the option to to sell it at a at a different uh, at a different price. So there's other ways to short things through that, but shorting is incredibly hard, and the reason why you see some of these really big movements in stocks uh, like and- we did last week. And so do individuals, can individuals short stocks or is that mainly what you mentioned is like a brokerage house would be able to do that? Uh, individuals can do it. I wouldn't recommend it. You're just better off literally doing nothing and putting your money <laughs> in the market and not worrying about it. But I mean, I have clients that like to actively trade and they they do stuff like that. Um, when the amount of money in your account gets bigger, you're allowed to do a little bit different things than if you just have 50 grand in an account. Um yeah, I mean, like any any brokerage house is is set up to help you do that if you want. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Sorry for that tangent. No, it's a good question. What else are people speculating about? What else are people making predictions about? Uh, another big thing is just that the the housing market is going to implode and end. And this one is always interesting to me because it harks back to 2008. So, like, if you really want to get someone's attention you just kind of whisper softly like 2008 is going to happen. And like people's ears just perk up, you know, they're just like, what, Oh what my God. <laughs> yeah. Like, what do you mean? Type thing. So that's housing. And I'll come back to that one, but I just remembered the other one that I've seen is the, the recession has always been three months away for the last year. And I think this is kind of my, the funny one to me is recession is coming three to six months, three to six months come and it gets pushed back. And you can actually see this in a lot of the recession calls. So in the show notes, in the weekly newsletter, I, I, you can see the median responses of survey of economists of when the recession is going to hit. And all of them have been, it's three to six months, and then they keep moving it out, and then they keep moving it out, and they keep moving it out. So I, I'm just going to read uh, for that from that article. The consensus forecast for at least a year running has been that we're three months away from recession and just keeps getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And a big part of that reason is consumer spending continues to grow. So you can just see how professionals who, what they do every day, they can't get the prediction right with what the, what the economy is going to do. And there's also a really great resource that I like. It's called the Atlanta Fed GDP Now. This is great. You should bookmark this, Fabian. But the Atlanta Fed uses... Uh, economic data that's coming in to give an estimate for what GDP growth is going to be uh, in the next quarter. And then it it puts it right next to the blue chip economists 
estimate and all the economists for the last like three quarters have estimated 0% growth. And Atlanta Fed has been right around 2%. And the Atlanta Fed has been a lot closer. So even the economists from a prediction level haven't been able to get this right um, for a variety of different reasons. Um, I'm going to pause for a question. No, it just reminds me, just like everybody who's like, yeah, tomorrow, but tomorrow never comes, right? Like they keep moving that marker of of the three months. It's funny because no one knows what the hell they're talking about. Well, I mean, I think they're well-intentioned talking about, but I think just making these macro calls, one, being right about the macro call is hard to do. And then two, timing it with your portfolio is even harder to do. So if you've been sitting in cash since since the year began, I think the market's up 10%. You've missed the big bounce in the market. Um, you've gotten the market returns roughly 8% annual. So you've, you've missed more than an average return in the market just by being like, I'm going to wait uh, for things to look better before I invest. I, I've seen clients and, and people do that all the time. I'm going to wait till things look better. Yeah, gym buddies, de- deadlift people, no big deal. Same thing. Well, I'd be like, well, what do you want to see? you know, before things get better, I'd be like, well, I'd like the market to go up. It's like, well, like you missed, you missed out. Like, come in. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're also missing the point. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that one's a little bit. And then the, the one I mentioned earlier, just housing crisis. So whenever you say that people go back to 2008 and freak out, but your favorite saying is we're just having a Mexican standoff effectively in housing right now. So I think there's still a level of support, and this is me just pontificating after I said predictions are hard. The difference with my predictions is I'm not making huge moves in money based off these. You know, it's not like I'm in and out of the market. But having said that, I still think the housing market has support because you have uh, what's what's your mortgage rate? Do you know off the top of your head? Two point seven five. Yeah. No so there's a bunch deal. of. There's a bunch of avals like you sitting around in me. Actually, I think we have the same mortgage rate. <laughs> 2.75, you know, we're just like kings on our really low mortgage here. And I'll probably try and keep my house even if I move just because why would I ever want to give up that rate type thing? So you right. have a lot of people like in our situation who don't want to pay A, the higher cost for our home, B, the higher interest rate, but also like we've got a good thing here. Why don't we just keep it and rent it type thing? So there's like, a, from a listing standpoint, there's not as many listings. And then B, there's the same amount of buyers. So it's keeping the prices currently at uh, the Mexican standoff type thing. So what do you think would cause a bubble to, to burst or a repeat of 2008? So I don't think we would ever have a repeat of 2008. Famous last words, knock on wood. <laughs> Right there, but the I, I think a recession is always a possibility. I, like I, I have no idea, and frankly, by the time we figure out we're in one, it's it's already too late. Like I've done a, a couple articles where it shows that the stock market will predict the recession coming. It's going to dip way before. That's why everyone was calling for recessions because the market was was correcting last year, but really it was just a correction from higher valuations, not really based on economic data per se. And that's why people were freaking out calling for recessions. But the market's going to move ahead of that. Um, And it's okay to have recessions. You need like a resetting um, in the economy sometimes. But it's not like I'm rooting for one. But to get weakness in in housing and all these other things, you you would need a, a U.S. recession 
um, that would start from the consumer slowing down, most likely and unemployment going up. Which we haven't seen. Which we haven't seen yet. Yeah. So if you look at unemployment, we're at 3.4%. Um, labor force participation is is almost, I think, is above pre-COVID level. So despite all the kind of market calls and things like that, as long as you and me are out there living our bougie lifestyles, the, the economy is 70% me and you going out and buying stuff. So service like services and, and other things like that, that is like the true economy. And as long as we are doing that, we, we should be fine from an economic standpoint. Stocks are going to ebb and flow. They always will. But like, I'm never going to make moves and client accounts based off of a macro forecast type thing. Yeah. Well, thank you for making me feel good and justified about my abhorrent spending habits. You just, um, we're keeping without you, Fabian, where would the economy be? Where That's would we be? <laughs> and we got the Nordstrom sale coming up in like a week. Come on. Oh, now. snap. Yes. <laughs> good. Uh, what other burning questions do you have uh, on your mind today? Uh, you know, no questions, just one thought provoking comment for you, non finance related. How are you feeling about our upcoming triathlon season? I just, it goes back to the beginning of this. I just need to stop drinking beer. So I feel less fat. <laughs> I've been, I've been crushing the bike. I've been slacking on running and I've been hitting the pool a little bit. So I feel I feel good about it. I'm I'm excited for this season. I know what to expect because we did a couple last year. Now I'm like, okay, I, I got my stuff all situated. Now it's just like, uh, can I stop drinking beer long enough to be at like a healthy running weight <laughs> or fast running weight? Fast I, I, fast running weight for me. What about I, you? I agree with that. I agree with that sentiment. I've got to. I've got to get a little bit more practice in on the bike. I'm going to start hitting the pool back up. My pool was closed for a while due to some wind damage to the roof of the facility, oh. but that oh, just goodness. got fixed. I got the email, so I'm ready to pop back into the water, start swimming, and then doing some uh, bike run workouts. Cool. So, Good. That's all I got. Awesome. Well, if any listeners have a question, happily do that. We actually have one. It'll be next week and be on the 4% distribution rules. So that'll be, you know about that, do you? I, I don't. So I'm going to have to do some Googling. Okay. All right. I'll send, I'll send you stuff over before. But as always, feel free to subscribe, ask questions, share, and thank you for listening. Bye.